From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Some executives of some very large companies were once discussing priorities and sorting out the important from the urgent. One of them said with a laugh, I spent most of last year on planes visiting plants around the world. At the end of the year, I added up all my flight times, related that to the airspeed of the planes I was on and the number of hours in a year, and I realized my body speed had averaged about 45 miles per hour for a year. I have little time to slow down. We're busy. We have lots going on, and it doesn't show signs of stopping anytime soon. In fact, slow is a pejorative in our society. When someone has a low IQ, we call them slow. When service at a restaurant is lousy, we call it slow. When a movie is boring, we complain it is slow. The message of our culture is clear. Slow is bad, fast is good. But what if there was another way? What if hurry was actually the problem? It's been said hurry is the great killer of the spiritual life. The psychologist Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Too much, busy, urgency, hurry is the problem. So how do we solve it? We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. I'm excited about the series that we're in today. So if you have a Bible, um, turn to Matthew chapter 11, key verse for the um, series here at verse uh, 28. Chapter 11, verse 28 to 30 says this. This is Jesus talking, um, and it was shared during a baptism today, which is awesome. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's let's bow our heads and pray one more time. Father, as we look to your word today, um, open our hearts and our minds to not just what I have to share, but ultimately what you want to share this morning, God. And I pray that um, as we discuss the things we're gonna discuss today, as we look at the text, as we look at the, the pattern and pace of life, Christ, that you walked as you walked on this earth, help us to follow after you. Help us not just to be believers, God, who hear things but don't do them. Help us to be followers of Jesus that actually reflect our Christ and our Lord. And so change us and transform us today, we pray by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we began a uh, new series last week called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go check it out, um, especially because it's last week really served as an intro for what we're talking about over the next few weeks. But it's based off of a book here that I have um, by the same title by a, a man named um, John Mark Comer, who is a pastor and author and um, thought leader in uh, Portland, Oregon. And here is our problem. We live in a fast-paced hurried, busy, overwhelmed society. We are a hurried generation and a hurried people. And psychologists and mental health professionals have actually given this a name um, in the past five to six decades, and that is hurry sickness. It's actually labeled the disease, hurry sickness, and it's killing us. The late philosopher and Christian thinker Dallas Willard said this, he says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Hurry destroys us spiritually, kills our joy, it sucks our peace, it ruins our relationships. And the pattern of life that we've adopted and often live by in our culture and our society is not helping. We're busy, 
we're overwhelmed, we're distracted, and we often don't give time to the things that really have value. Korean-born German philosopher Byung-Chung Han in the Burnout Society made an observation of people in the West. He said they are too alive to die and they're too dead to live. So I think it's time that we revisit this ancient invitation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, that we read today. It's an invitation not just to um, say something nice when we're feeling overwhelmed, but it's an invitation to organize our life in its entirety around a way of doing life that brings about the blessing of rest, right? That brings about the fulfillment that we long for and ultimately the purpose that God promises. Too often what we do is we adopt some nice teaching. Love your neighbor, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give, while living the rest of our lives like everyone around us, and we expect that is sufficient, but that is not really what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, Dallas Willard actually said that's a strategy bound to fail. So Jesus is actually inviting us in Matthew chapter 11 into um, order our lives around a rule of life. And that's a concept I introduced to you um, last week, a rule of life um, in order to be like Jesus, um, be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and to do what he would do if he were you, if he were me, if he were us. A rule of life is simply a, a schedule and a set of practices and life rhythms that help us create space in our busy world. And with Jesus, it helps us to take on his teaching, his yoke, and his rhythm. So today we're going to look at one of those practices, um, and over the next four weeks, we're going to look at different practices that we can put in, into place. Now, does anybody remember boredom? Do you remember boredom? That was a thing when I was growing up. That was a thing when I was growing up. There was a time in life when you could be bored. There was a time when, in, you know, for those of you who grew up in the digital era, you probably have no idea what this means. At least you've heard of the term. You probably think you know what it means, but you really don't know what it means to be bored. It's actually a lost art form, I think, boredom. If you grew up with access to the internet or infinity in your pocket on the device in front of you, um, you don't know what this is. Do you guys remember when you would go on a car trip and you wouldn't be the one that was driving and you would have nothing to do but stare out the window? You remember that? <laughs> you literally just had to stare out the window or you'd be in line at a coffee shop or wherever it might be, you know, a grocery store and you just have to stand there waiting for this word patiently remember that? Or sitting stuck in traffic or in the back of a movie before it starts or the back of a class with nothing to do but let your mind wander because you had no phone to pick up. You had no device to control your attention. We live with such technology, such amazing technology, right? We, have, we can do things more efficiently than ever before, more conveniently ever before. Like my kids suffer at having to empty a dishwasher, like when I, when, I, when I tell them they got to empty the dishwasher, which is their regular chore, or Jody tells them, almost always there's the, ugh. Like I grew, up, I grew up in the home where my parents used to say, well, we had to walk, you know, four to five miles and two feet of snow every day to school with no coat and the wind was facing us and it was up and downhill. That's what I grew up in. You know, do you know what I tell my kids? I say, back in my day, we used to have to wash the dishes by hand. 
<laughs> and some of you are like, I still do that. In our house, we have, um, we have an Alexa. It was a gift. It's the digital assistant that you know, can tell you the time, the weather, and has access to information. The crazy thing about this is I don't even need to pick up a phone anymore or go on a computer to access information. I can just ask Alexa. Alexa, what's the weather today? Alexa, what's the definition of this? Alexa, who invented this? Like, we have such access to crazy information so easily, but we've lost something so crucial in it all. We've lost those little, little moments of boredom that it can actually become God moments. Those little moments throughout our day that actually wake us up to the reality of God all around us. The moments that forced us because we had nothing else to do but to come off of the hurry drug and back into the beauty of life all around us. Those are gone. They're swallowed up by the excessive noise and they're swallowed up by the multitude of distractions around us. The moment we feel a hint of boredom, what do we do? Except for maybe the odd few of us, we reach for the phone, we reach for the computer, we turn on the TV, we check the news, the messages, and we let our mind fade into the oblivion that is social media. Microsoft did a study and a survey that said that 77% of young adults, when it said that they had nothing to do or nothing to occupy their attention, they reached for their phone. I was driving the other day and I saw uh, a teenager, well, maybe a, a preteen, junior high, riding their bike while, it, while looking at their phone and they were like veering off the sidewalk. I saw a parent, did you not, with a baby in their stroller walking a dog glued to their phone. This is the society that we live in. And the new normal of hurry is robbing us of the ability to be present. Present with God, present with each other, present with the beauty of our world, present with our own souls. John Mark Homer, he said this, he said, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we actually need. <clears throat> those spaces, those empty spaces in which we can wait on him, pause to listen to his voice, they disappear and we've lost the capacity for voice recognition. There's a, a statistic or a piece of information that says the average phone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. And you know, John Mark in his book says, what if God touched our mind that many times in a day? 2,617 2, times a day. How do we pray? How do we read the scriptures, sit in teaching, rest well on a Sabbath? If at any chance we get the moment we find any ounce of boredom, we reach for the drug release that is our phone or a computer or a television. Pick your thing of choice. What if we could create space for these moments? What if there was a practice we could put into place that actually made room in our busy life? There is one, it's called the silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Secular society has adopted this, they call it mindfulness, but it's basically the same thing minus Jesus, the best part. Silence and solitude was a regular practice of Jesus. When Jesus first began his public ministry, when he showed up, um, on the scene publicly, around 30 years old. He was baptized by John the Baptist, and it says in the first 
um, uh, in, the, in the gospel accounts that as he was being baptized, the heavens opened up, the skies opened up, and the Father spoke, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, and he was ready to go, and people were in awe. And do you know what the first thing that Jesus did was? What we read next is that it says that he was led by the Holy Spirit to be alone in the desert to be tempted. The first thing that Jesus did when he began his public ministry was go to the desert. Now, if, if you're like me, you know, we immediately think of wasteland, you know, heat, you know, dryness. Um, I think of the hottest place on earth. That's the picture that comes to mind. Whatever the, I don't even know what the, the biggest, hottest des- desert is, but that's what I picture I have in my mind when I picture Jesus in the desert place. But the word here in the original language could also mean a few different things. It could mean desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place, or wilderness. So the first thing that Jesus did when he began his public ministry was he was led by the Spirit to be alone in the quiet. And it was there that he goes toe-to-toe with Satan. Now that, that seems a little backwards because I think that would be where the enemy would want him to be alone. And the enemy wants you to be lonely. He wants you to believe that the quiet places in life You are alone. But what if the wilderness, what if the the lonely place isn't a place of weakness, but actual strength? What if the, the quiet places in life were actual powerhouses for us? What if the very thing that that the enemy thinks is gonna bring us down are the things that are gonna fuel our soul to live life? So Jesus was led there. And it's in there after fasting for praying and praying for 40 days that he's at the height of his spiritual power. And it's only after those 40 days that he goes toe-to-toe with the great spiritual enemy, the devil himself. Again and again, you see this practice throughout the Gospels of Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, before Jesus chose the 12 disciples, he spent an entire night alone in the desert hills praying to God. In Matthew chapter 14, when he he received news of John the Baptist's death, he withdrew from there in a boat to a solitary place. In Matthew chapter 14, after miraculously feeding the 5,000, Jesus went up into the hills by himself. In Mark chapter 1, after a long night of work, it says this, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place. In Mark chapter 6, when the 12 returned from preaching and healing, Jesus instructed them, come away by yourselves to a lonely place. In Luke chapter 5, following the healing of a leper, Jesus says, withdraw, withdrew, says Jesus withdrew to the lonely wilderness and prayed. In Matthew chapter 17, with the inner three disciples, he sought out the silence of a lonely mountain, and it was on that place that he transfigured before them. Matthew chapter 26, as he prepared for the purpose in which he came, to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world, he sought out the solitude of the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's out of these places that Jesus came with all sorts of clarity to his identity and calling and purpose and next steps. He was grounded. He was in in touch with the Father and himself. He knew precisely what to do next, what to say yes to, and whom to go after And when you look at the life and pace of Jesus in the Gospels, you realize that this practice of silence and solitude was at the top of his list. Like we often forget that Jesus, although he is fully God, was fully man, humbled himself as God, to take on the form of man. 
It's in these moments of silence and solitude that we get the greatest clarity and strength. And how do we know that? Because we see that in Christ. The greatest clarity and strength to take on our world, to unhurry our lives, and to be who we're supposed to be. So on one occasion, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to do some ministry. They're serving, they're preaching the word, they're healing. And then afterwards, they come and they report to Jesus all that they had done. And it says that the people were coming and going so that the disciples didn't have any chance to eat. And so Jesus says this to them after this, this time. He says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. To this over busy and exhausted uh, group of disciples, he says, what you really need right now is alone time with me. What you really need is, is to get away together to a quiet place in a wilderness and, re and rest. And what happens next is so true to life. They try and they try to get away, but then the crowds hear and then they gather and then Jesus does what Jesus does. He has compassion on them. He teaches them and then ultimately he feeds them. This is the scene where he feeds the 5,000 people. And so the disciples are working again. And that is so true to life, right? We, we, what we really need is alone time with Jesus, but then life just happens. We, we set aside time for solitude, for Sabbath, maybe a night off to rest, maybe just some quiet time, and then life happens, right? We get a call from work, you get a, a family crisis, a friend in need. And it was only after all of this that the disciples, Jesus finally sent the disciples away in a boat to go on ahead of them, and then Jesus himself went up to a mountain top to pray. Like Jesus' life was so full, he had so much to do that the only time in this moment for silence and solitude was at night. Jesus knew the importance of time with God that after a busy day, he didn't just binge watch Netflix, right? Or look out the window because they didn't have TV then. He didn't plop on the couch, he didn't recline. He spent a night in prayer with the Father. He would forego sleep in order to be with the Father. And I often think if that's a practice of Jesus, how much more should that be a practice of us? This frequent practice of Jesus. In order for us to unhurry our lives and receive the abundance of rest and offered, it needs to be a practice of our silence and solitude. So there's, there's two dimensions to this. There's the external and the internal. External silence is no noise. It's... It's really hard for a lot of people. It's when you, when you turn off the music and when you turn off the radio, no background TV, no toddler screaming, which I don't even know if that's possible, no chatting on the phone. It's when you're, really, when you're up really early in the morning before your house wakes up or it's when you're walking out in nature or you're in your room alone, whatever it is, and it's quiet. It's not about praying or even reading your Bible or doing anything spiritual, but just quiet. It's reducing the external noise. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, um, which I would encourage you to read, um, has the demons rallying their cause against silence, calling the devil's realm the kingdom of noise, saying that we will make the whole universe a noise to the end. There is, we have so much noise around us. We have so much noise that we don't even know what to do when there's silence anymore. It's unknown territory. It's uncomfortable. You ever be in a conversation and there's just silence or you sit in a room with people and there's just silence? Outside of your family, you just feel like awkward? I love those moments. Sometimes I purposely create them just to see how tense people get because we don't know what to do with silence anymore. 
We have so much noise around us, but the problem with so much noise is it actually pushes out room for us to meet with and hear God. Then there's the internal aspect. Most people don't know internal silence. We're filled with chatter that never shuts up. We have running commentaries in our head. We're replaying conversations, events, and memories. We have lustful thoughts and fantasies and not just sexual lifestyle and revengeful even. We worry over hypothetical scenarios. We're idealizing. Our mind is full of noise. It's full of chatter. External noise can be easier to quiet because we can turn a switch off, but the mind... And maybe that's why we are drawn to external noise because the only way we can quiet the mind is to drown it out with some external noise. But the kind of silence and solitude that Jesus practiced and the kind that we need shuts off both. We need a quiet place. Then there's solitude. And by solitude, we mean when you're alone with God in your own soul, not isolation, Solitude. Solitude is, is engagement. Isolation is escapism. Solitude opens you up to God. Isolation paints a target on your back for the enemy of your soul. Jesus was alone in the wilderness with God. He was in solitude. He wasn't in isolation. We fear solitude because we often fear loneliness, right? And it's in our fear of loneliness that we often we're drawn drawn to noise and to crowds. If you're extroverted, you're likely going to go to people because you like being around people and people recharge you. If you're introverted, you're likely just going to go to noise because people, you don't want to be around them, but you need something to drown out the, the loneliness that you feel inside. We fear solitude because we fear loneliness, but solitude is not loneliness. Solitude is where we meet with God one-on-one and we can actually open our ears to listen and hear his voice. Richard Foster said this, he says, solitude is more than just a state of mind and heart. It's more of a state of mind and heart than it is a place. If we possess an inward solitude, we do not fear being alone for we know that we are not alone. Now, if we're honest, we might admit that many of us often feel separated from God. Like we feel like we can't hear his voice, we, we, we don't feel, experience his presence. That's why a lot of us are aching to get back to church because church, when the gathering in the physical building is where we got our God fix, right? It's almost like the presence of God becomes a drug for a moment, becomes the quick hit. And then we can go back to the void that is the secular life that's void of his presence. We have to start thinking of relationships with God like relationships with others. Relationships grow when we make room for them and they suffer when, they, when we don't. And solitude is kind of like the date night that you have with God. Solitude is the date time that we set aside for our relationship with God. It's, it's the marked out moment in your day. It's the time set aside in your week. It's the moments throughout the week set aside for God. You know, me and my wife, Jody, when we have a date night, we don't just, we kind of say, hey, you know, Friday night's gonna be date night or this, this, this time, this place is gonna be, and we have to organize it, you know, not during a lockdown because we can't get any sitters necessarily, so we wait till the kids are in bed and we do something at home, but if lockdown wasn't happening, we gotta organize someone to come watch the kids, right? It's, there's a schedule set in place. And the same with God. We can't just say, well, maybe tomorrow I'll meet with God sometime. Right? There, there's, a, there's a schedule set in place. Mother Teresa said this. She remarked and said, if you spend one hour a day adoring your Lord and never do anything which you know is wrong, you will be fine. We do the never do anything we know to be wrong part, 
man, an hour a day? I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do for an hour with God. Do you know what to do with an hour with anybody else? Like sometimes, we're, sometimes we can just sit in someone's presence, right? Like we can actually sit in silence in someone's presence. You can do that with God. We need this. This, is, this practice is the powerhouse to refuel our soul. Yet so many of us say this, I don't have what? Time. I don't have time for that. Everyone has the same amount of time in a day. No one of us has any more hours or minutes than anybody else. It all comes down to how you prioritize. If the average phone user touches their phone 2,600 times a day, then they can make room for silence and solitude. If I have time to post on social media or check social media, if I have time to watch the game, if I have time to play the game, for those of you that are, you know, these guys, if I have time to binge watch the episodes, if I have time for TV, I have time. There's no real excuse. Now here's what happens when we practice silence and solitude. You ready for it? The hurried pace of life slows down. The too much to do begins to unravel. We actually begin to value doing less more. Value that more. We find a quiet place, you know, our Jesus space. I, you know, there's one person of Parkway Church, I hear them often remark that the beach is their zone. It's their happy spot. It's their silence and solitude space. It's where they're refueled. You know who you are. If you're watching, you know who you are. We end up taking our time. We, you know, we cut out the busyness, even if it's just for a few moments. We slow down and breathe. You know, practicing deep breathing in moments of silence and solitude, even in prayer, is actually really good practice. But we're a little uncomfortable when things begin to slow down. Take a deep breath. I don't got time for a deep breath. <laughs> I don't got time to slow down. But we can begin to slow down. We can actually, through silence and solitude, face the realities of our inner self, which can be really ugly and hard. And maybe this needs a longer conversation than just a little blip in this moment. Probably does. But there's so much inner healing work that is done in silence and solitude. Some of us have been holding on to baggage and wrestling hurt. And we're wondering why we're not moving forward from it. It's because we haven't just slowed down enough to process. We can start to feel again in all the emotions gives us opportunity to process the emotions we're feeling. And not just the good ones, the bad ones. And usually if you haven't done silence and solitude at all and you start to slow down enough to take some time, the bad emotions are the ones that pop up first. But if you process them, you take time to, to chew on them and pray about them and just deep breaths and relax, the good ones will show. We start to feel again and then finally we come to a place of freedom. Matt, I wanted you to come back up, Matt. Practicing the way of Jesus, these spiritual disciplines are things that we do. It's not just a state of mind, they're actions that we put into place. And when we put into place an external action, what happens is we nurture our inward being. We can't expect the change if we're not gonna put in practice the things that help with change. We can't expect to slow down and unhurry life if we don't put into practice the things that actually help 
And this was a frequent practice of Jesus. This was, a, this was a part of the way of Jesus. This is a part of his yoke. You see him pointing out this with his disciples often. You see him modeling this for his disciples. So when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he's saying, take on my pace. Take on my way of life. Silence and solitude is part of that. So practically, what can this look like? Because it's really easy to talk about, but often difficult to actually put into practice. And I have three quick things for you that you could, you could possibly try out. Number one is take advantage of the little moments that fill your day. This could be the moment that you wake up before you actually get out of bed. Like in our house, our kids are like vultures. The moment we open the door, they're like, like right there. And so I've learned to like really value this moment when I open my eyes and I just stay in my bed for a while. Not because I want to sleep any longer, but because I know the hurried pace is waiting. But take advantage of that. This is the cup of coffee for those of you who love your coffee in the mornings. Drink your cup of coffee without a phone, or without a laptop, or without a TV. Just drink the coffee. Take the moments in the day when you're in the car and you're driving, turn off the radio. That's taboo. Don't do that. Turn off the podcast. And this is really hard for those of us who, who constantly fill our life with noise. But these moments are lost to us when we fill them with noise. So we take those little moments and we focus our attention on God. We sit in the silence. We ponder his goodness. We practice deep breathing. Second is this, is find or develop a quiet place designed for quiet alone time. So this could be a room in your house. It could be a chair by the window. It could be a spot in the park. It could be the church worship center midweek. We can have 10 people. We had some people here this week just praying together. Could be a closet. Some of you got a prayer closet. You schedule a time to sit and be alone with God in the quiet place with God in your own soul. Could be in the morning, 6 a.m. for those of you that are early, 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 8 p.m. But it's a time to turn off the noise, to breathe deeply, be silent, think about God, maybe read through scripture, meditate on it, or just sit Rest and listen. We don't do listening well. Maybe you'll hear a word from God. Maybe you'll process that resentment. Maybe nothing will happen but a reset. Maybe something significant would happen. You know, all the ugliness that comes with hurry sickness, we, you know, I shared 10 symptoms last week. It comes from when we don't have these moments of silence and solitude. The story goes of a really busy, busy man who came to a new church plant one day and he met with a pastor after the service at the front. He says, you know, I wish I could be more like you, but I can't, I don't have time for these sorts of things, prayer and quiet. I'm so busy, I don't have time, I'm not like you. And so the pastor paused and he says to the man, you know, I've always been able to make time for the stuff I value. If I value something, I'll make time to experience it. If I don't, I won't. Isn't that true? Like we say we don't have time, but we have a lot of time for the things that we want to have time for. That was it, end of conversation. The guy apparently wasn't pleased. A few months later go by and the man shows back up to church, meets with the pastor after the service and the pastor describes, he says that the man's just seemed changed. His countenance was different. So after chatting for a little bit, the, pa the man invited the pastor and his wife over for dinner when one night and so they went over for dinner and throughout the evening they got to chatting and then the man brought 
the pastor to this spot that had a rocking chair in it. The man said to the pastor, he says, you know, I love rocking chairs. So I bought myself a really nice one. And what I do is I get up 20 to 30 minutes earlier in the day and I sit in my rocking chair with a cup of coffee and I just, I pray. I, I read the word a little bit and then I just pause and I listen. So the pastor looks at him and he says, how's that going for you? And that's when his wife jumped in. You know something changes when the spouse jumps in. She says, that chair has changed his life. He's more centered, he's more grounded, he's more gentle and loving to me and the kids. A few months later, it says, or a few years later, by sitting in that chair and having that alone time with God, that man felt led by the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was led into the desert, he was led to leave his business and go plant another church. You know, years and years and years go by, he developed cancer and he passed away. And at the funeral, the pastor goes over to his wife. He says, you know, that chair was something, eh? And she said to him, those moments with God in that chair changed his life. Find or develop a quiet space to be alone with Jesus and schedule time. Number three is talk less and listen more really hard for many people. Talk less and listen more. Silence and solitude isn't always about a place. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Don't interrupt someone when they're talking. Let them finish what they're gonna say. Discipline yourself so that your words are fewer but fuller. You know those people that when they talk, everyone, like, like the, the room silences because they wanna hear what this person's about to say because they rarely speak up. So when they do speak up, you know what's good. Can we discipline ourselves to be those kind of people? Become known as someone who has something to say when we speak up. You can even take a monastic approach to this and try to go an entire day without words. You're like, that is impossible. Well, don't do it legalistically, just as an experiment. Use less words. Our relationships suffer because we spend so much more time talking than listening. Our relationship with God suffers because we don't just pause and be quiet and listen to the things he wants to say. Listening is a lost art form. But by practicing silence, by talking less and listening more, we can actually nurture our inward self towards that silence and solitude that we need. So we take advantage of the little moments throughout the day. We develop a quiet place for time with God and we talk less and listen more. Those are action steps. Those are practices that we can put into practice. You know, we have two options here is we can either neglect this practice, we can make excuses and we can get sucked into the noise that is life and at best, it will be emotionally unhealthy and at worst, it will destroy us spiritually. Or we can actually put this into practice. We can take on this ancient pace of Jesus and we can unhurry our lives. So here's how I wanna actually end today is I just wanna take a moment before I close in prayer and I just want us to sit in silence. So if you can, if you're, you're, you're watching here today and if you can silence your room right now, I want you to silence your room. If you can't, just do your best to ignore it. And I just want you to close your eyes and just begin to breathe deeply and slowly. That does something to our bodies.
And I want you to just fix your mind's attention on Jesus. Picture him before you. Let's just take a moment and let's be silent. Fix your mind on Jesus. Breathe deep. I'll help focus your attention on Jesus. All the noise in your mind just starts to push around, wants to occupy the space. Breathe deep. Focus in on Jesus. It's hard. As you breathe deep and you sit in silence, I want to read you this scripture. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We could significantly unhurry our lives, slow down the pace, have opportunity to process emotions, hurts, baggage. If we just take moments to be silent, find some solitude. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather even in our homes, meet together, worship, hear your word. And now take a moment to pray. Lord, we need you. We need your help unhurrying our souls. Help us to create space prioritize time, take the moments, be with you, take your yoke to take your teaching, to take your pace, put into practice the things that you do so we can be with you, we can become like you, and we can do the things that you would do if you were us. Lord, we bless your name. It's all for your glory. It's all for your name's sake. We do this, God, because you are our God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's, a, there's an app you can download for those of you who are appies called Centering Prayer, and I believe it's actually a Catholic app. But it basically is, it, it's an app that sets a timer to some you know, a nice chime before, and you can set different durations of the timer to have silent prayer. And the idea is that too often, even as we try to commit time for this sort of thing, is we get distracted by thinking, well, what time is it? How much time has gone by? 
And so this gives you a chime before and a chime after. So you can set it to 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And that way you don't need to fix your attention or focus your mind on the time. You can just sit in silent prayer. It's called centering prayer. I know it's available on, on Apple iPhones. I believe it probably would be on the Android store and it's free as well. Take moments throughout the day. Find a spot and time to be with Jesus, even if once a week. Talk less, listen more. Practice this. I challenge you to practice this and see your life on hurry. When we talk about the rule of life or rule of life, this is part of that. It's one of those practices we put in place to be more like Jesus. Next week, just a reminder, we're online only. Um, and midweek prayer and youth, as of right now, are online only. If you're new, welcome to our community. Thanks for joining with us today. Head to our website and fill out our Connect card. We have a small gift for you for doing so. If you have kids, make sure to check out the kids' teaching. And then if you need prayer, if you're in the room, I'm here. You can meet with me at the front. Um, if you're online, you can message us. You can go to our website and do so. You can send us a message on Facebook. Um, for those of you that were watching on YouTube, there was a, the issue with YouTube there. We're gonna upload the full service later on for you as well. Hey, may God bless you today and maybe, may you find rest for your souls. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.